Well, I have Ryan Conway with me today, and he's producing a new TV show, uh, streaming show, whatever you want to call a show these days. Ryan's working on that. Ryan Conway, welcome to the Troncast. Pleased to have you. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing with the show and, and how that came to be? Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, th- first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, basically the show is, uh, well, I'm about 22 years old. I'm a senior at Sacred Heart. I'm studying film and television. So for our sort of senior project for all film and television majors, we have to uh, sort of create something that uses all the skills we picked up. So some kids are doing a website. Some kids are making a podcast like uh, your podcast you have here. I decided to uh, try to make a full half hour TV show that you'd see on like NBC, ABC, like one of the sitcoms. So um, yeah, that uh, that's sort of where the um, the idea came. I knew that I wanted to make comedy. I love making people laugh all throughout my life. So it just seemed like the most logical option. Well, that that kind of thing seems to work great, right? I mean, I, I just finished watching a bunch of episodes of Parks and Recreation. Oh right? my god, I, I and love then, Parks and Rec. You know. You've got The Office and you've got, uh, you know, uh, The Good Place and all these kinds of things that are that are sort of in a very similar frame of mind. And usually they're pretty good. Right. So. So tell me about the premise of your show. It's called On Air, right? Yeah. So um, I uh, I'm a big SNL fan. Um, So the thing that always intrigued me in SNL is there's all these cast members, right? And they always like, I I don't know why intrigued me, but I always wondered, I wonder what they're like in, because some of the skits SNL has, like, you're just like, how did they figure out how to do this? Like, how did they come up with this stuff? So I was really interested in that. So I'm like, what if I made a show inside a show and the cast is part of a variety show and it's all about, the cast, their personal lives, what goes on in their minds, sort of like Larry Sanders, the Larry Sanders show, but mixed with a little SNL. I think that's a great premise, right? Because, uh, you know, a a show like SNL, they don't have a whole lot of time to put on, you know, what do they spend, 90 minutes on the show or something like that? They don't Uh, have a whole lot of time to put that together. So mm-hmm. what must go on behind the scenes? There's got to be some hilarity and some madness and, you know, some tears and all of that, exactly. right? Yeah, it's got to be very stressful, some cursing. Yeah, so th- that sounds like a lot of fun. So w- what kind of challenges are you running into to, to make it happen, to get the show produced? Because that's, that's no small thing to produce a show. No, it's not. And, you know, uh, and everyone I'm close with always says this about me. They say that, um, you know, my parents, brother, professors, they all say that I have a great mind. They all say that I have great ideas, except like some of my ideas are too big for my own good. And um, they said this about this project. And I was like, no, how hard can it be? It, it's very hard. Let me tell you. I um, in December. Uh, we were originally going to shoot two episodes, and we were going to shoot it in two weeks. I thought, oh, yeah, an episode a week, that, that's easy to shoot, right? We are still in the middle of shooting our first episode, and it is March. So just, just to give you a little insight on right. how much, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's a lot. Well, it's, it's always fun on projects. Well, fun is maybe the wrong word, but 
you always get into projects and find out all the things you didn't know you didn't know you didn't know, right? And right. You're right. like, oh. Exactly. Uh, I started a uh, uh, shooting a scene, and my professor is like, okay, this scene sounds good. Do you know what shots you want? I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll just have an over show. He's like, did you storyboard it? I'm like, no. Is that necessary? He's like, yeah, yeah. You need to storyboard every single shot you want. I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, well. Now I need a storyboard in. Now I need to block the shot. It's just multiple layers that I had no idea. Well, right. And then you talk to some of the people that don't storyboard and block everything because they've storyboarded and blocked enough things in the past that they can kind of see the thing happening in real time. Man, exactly. that's, that I would imagine. I don't know that much about that particular skill, but I imagine it would take a long time to get to where you can make all of that look easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, that's pretty uh, exciting. So who, who's who's in the show? Uh, fellow students, friends, family? Uh, yeah. So um, my um, most of the cast is my um, a lot of my friends. And originally I had um, I had professional act, not professional. They were theater actors at my school. Um, I had them attached to the show except nice. things fell through. They couldn't do the show. So I had to go back to my friends and I'm, I'm so happy that things fell through because my friends, like I put them in the roles and they were absolutely perfect for the roles. Their delivery is perfect. I was so surprised. I thought the acting was going to be kind of wooden for lack of their word, but uh-huh. they owned up to everything. They owned the roles and I'm just so excited that for people to see it. Well, I think that's probably a credit, though, to, to the characters you built around your friends. So you made something that, you know, is natural to them, perhaps. Or, or maybe you just have a whole lot of friends who are hand bones, right? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they're talented and they didn't know it. That's right. They're, they're all budding comedians. Right, well, yeah. well, that sounds like fun. What, what, what are you planning on doing with the show uh, after the project is done? Because this is sort of your capstone for the course, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um well, the show is, uh, I gave you sort of a vague uh, just overview of the show. Um, it's about the lives of a cast of this variety show, right? Except um, I also want to go over topical issues. So in the first episode, the producer sort of uh, is fired. The old producer is fired because of sexual harassment claims. So I thought that would be very timely, very interesting. Right. Uh, sort of cover that topic and then other topics i want to cover and i have an entire list of topics in the series bible is uh you know lack of race in the workplace um cyber because now the internet people can always harass stars and so i wanted to cover that i want to cover um sort of um drug abuse therapy uh sort of things like that i'm really a big fan of um just comedy that also tells a story that can also get deep like Roseanne and I, I don't want to get you know t- take all the shenanigans in her personal life away that show what I loved about that show is just they had serious topics and then mixed it with comedy and right it just did so in such a unique and just a refreshing way and encourage people to talk and that's something that I also want to do I want to encourage people to talk because and again not to be political in this current landscape, you know, uh, people are so divided and I just want to give them like a controversial topic and approach it from both sides and say, Hey, maybe you can learn from this side. Maybe you can learn from that side. 
because honestly, some of my friends and I are on some of these topics we're uh, tackling, we are on polar opposite sides. But then as we're writing it, we're like, oh, okay, I can see where you're coming from. You see where I'm coming from. And now we have a better understanding. Well, that's a good start, right? If you can see where each other's coming from, that's a good start. Exactly, exactly. I, I just realized I did not answer the question at all. I'm so sorry. No, it's good. We're, we're talking about real stuff, you know, and then you look at, uh, you know, some of the icons of, of the world you're working in, like Norman Lear, right, with things like, uh, you know, All in the Family mm-hmm. and the Jeffersons and, you know, the kind of topics he dealt with at the time were super controversial, you know, divisive and all that for its time. But he was able to do it by spinning in, you know, the way he spun in comedy and irony and a little bit of sadness, you know, the the way he was able to mix that. It was really pretty incredible. And, And even now you watch those old reruns and sure they're dated and, you know, the production values, not the kind of stuff we have now and all that sort of thing, but they hold water still. They really are still relevant. They do. Yeah. I, I honestly think that uh, all in family and this may be an unpopular opinion. I think it's more relevant now than it was back in 60s or 70s. Well, it feels that way because of, you know, the experiences we've been through as a culture, people, country, whatever you call us, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. We come back around to this and go, wow, we're revisiting this, and uh, <laughs> it could be present day, right? Yeah, exactly. Pretty interesting. It's, it's Pretty interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's, well, that's neat. So what, what's your plan for after school? Where are you going with your skills from there, you think? Um, well, my, um, it's funny because as we were shooting the show, um, and the cast, they all love being in it. And I'm actually, uh, starring in the show too, because, you know, my lead kind of dropped out on me. So we just all loved working with each other. And one of my friends actually bought it up to me. He's like, Hey, you know, I think we have something really good here. I think the comedy is great. I think the delivery is great. You should honestly try to consider, uh, bringing it somewhere. So we researched, and we found some independent TV festivals that uh, take place in September. So we're going to try to get the pilot, if it's good enough. We're going to try to enter it in the TV festivals, hopefully nice. get some, uh, some attention on it. Uh, we have social media now. We're trying to grow our following. Uh, but I honestly, I'm very unlikely, but I hope that, um, I hope that it goes somewhere, honestly, because developing this i really love the characters and just the story we're trying to tell and the uh the humanity of these people you know they're going through things that everybody in their everyday lives goes through and i think that's really something that should be covered well and at at this stage in your career even if you touch 100 people you've made an impact with the show Exactly. Right. It'd be it'd be fun to touch a hundred million for sure. Yeah, yeah, for definitely. sure. But you know, you you sometimes do it a project at a time. I mean, uh, Spike Lee got his first Oscar the other day, and how long has he been at the yeah. very very top of that game? Right. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, for some folks, it takes a while. For others, you know, you you yeah. hit an early home run. You just you just never know, right? Right, exactly. Just and I've never always know. had this mindset that, um, you know, obviously I want to reach the masses, but 
if I, and I've been this way since I was younger, if I can make one person uh, think differently or smile or um, forget all the negative things, then I think that I did my job. And, you know, of course, I want to do that with 100 million. But again, that one person can change everything. And that's just my view of things. Right, right, right. So so what are you doing for distribution now? And what, what's your what do you think the next step is going to be? Uh, next step is well, first of all, next step is finishing this thing. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, just showing it at um, showing it to my professor and uh, my fellow students, and hopefully they uh, look at it warmly. We've tested it on some other friends who aren't involved in the production. We just show them a few clips, and they all seem to like it. So hopefully, um, we show it to everyone at my school. They love it. We continue to sort of develop it, show it to the uh, TV festivals. And we also want to try to do two or three more episodes so you can really get a, an idea of what the series is like, what the writing is like, where we would like it to go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, are, are you streaming it now at all or are you showing it live right now? Uh, I mean, not well, live necessarily, but are you showing it any place where someone can go watch it? Uh, right now, no. We um, Again, like I said, we have social media that we're currently trying to um, to market the show to. But right now, um, the I, I don't want to show my hand. I don't want to give anyone sort of um, a preview unless I'm fully confident in it. And I'm confident in the clips we have. I'm confident in uh, the way everybody was acting. But just from an editing standpoint, I think some things can be tightened. And uh, I, I always had the mindset that if I uh, if I'm not 100 percent behind it, then I'm not going to show like something that's 80 percent done. So, um, you know, I, right. uh, I refuse to show any clips yet until they're 100 percent done. So, uh, yeah, pe- people have to wait for that. And it's it, it's been annoying to them. <laughs> like, one of my no, friends- but I but I think that's smart of you. You know, you, you shouldn't show it till you're ready to show it. So I think that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know, and it's it's always the first impression. That's going to be the first impression. So I'd rather them wait a while to get the first impression than get the first impression and say, oh, yeah, that was good, but that could have been better. That was okay, but that could have been better. This had an editing mistake there. I'd, I'd rather them be like, oh, man, that was great in like right, two months. Right. You know? right. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So uh... – What's, what do you think uh, some of your fellow students are, are working on that's similar to what you're working on? Are you seeing other people doing the same kind of things or are they taking on different projects? Okay, well, this is a very interesting question because um, my professor, who's sort of my point guy on this, uh, we have a really good relationship. He, um, I told him right away, I'm like, I want to do a sitcom. And he's like, all right, I know you. I know your comedy. I think you can go for it, and I think it'll be good. said, okay. A few weeks pass. I uh, walk into his classroom because I have a question. He uh, introduces me to another kid who's a senior. And he's like, hey, he's doing a sitcom too. I'm like, oh, cool. So I figure, hey, you know, two people doing sitcoms, that's fine. Uh, so th- this is when I said that my rest, the rest of my cast canceled me. So I booked the cast, right? I had 
my entire cast failed. Um, two cast members, they left the show. They actually went to the other show. <laughs> yeah. So now uh, I. That's showbiz, that, baby. That's yeah, showbiz. I, so <laughs> I, I now have an extra sort of just uh, an extra urge to make it better. So they can right, be like, wow. Right. <laughs> my, my former stars can see it and be like, wow, I screwed up. Well, you well you're taking it well. Your your response that you have an extra motivation to make it better is probably a healthy response, rather than just you know being angry about it, right? (laughs) Right, but the right kind of revenge, right? That's a that's a quality, uh, you know, polite revenge, if you will. (laughs) Exactly, and 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 I hope his show is good. I've heard the premise, and it sounds like it could be really fun. But I want to be better. Right, right. <laughs> well, maybe we coined a new word, polite revenge. Wouldn't that be yeah, something? Polite have revenge, to think yeah. about what that turns into, right? I'll, I'll write it in the next episode, polite revenge. That's right. I have just avenged myself for your misdeeds, and you thank me for it. So there you go. <laughs> uh, well, maybe that won't work, but it was at least made me chuckle. So, <laughs> Well, hey, you know, so I do. That's right. There you go. So your comedy, your your comedy mission worked. You got you got me to chuckle. So good job. Good I, job. Uh, I'm on the right road. <laughs> That's right. So what what made you get into film? What what was it that uh, do you, do you remember when you thought, well, you know, I think I'm going to do film, or have you just always been into the visual side of things and always been interested um, in TV and movies? Well, interestingly enough, I um, first I wanted to be an actor, and I still sort of do. But um, so at a young age, I just love television. So I always watch TV, and I always wanted to be in TV. So around, I think, eight or nine years old, maybe 10, I don't know. I was young. Um, I, my parents put me into an acting school. So I went there for like two years. Uh, Wasn't really for it. It it was a long day for like a 10-year-old. So then years passed, and I kept wanting to go into the business. And, you know, I I kept making people laugh, and everyone kept telling me, you you can be in TV. You should be in TV. You should do stand-up. But I always refused. So around 15... I uh, I tried to go back in to it, and I was in this other agency, and I was there for another two years. And then 17, I left the agency, and at this point, I'm not acting. So I just um, – I'm trying to figure out when exactly was it, but I decided to write scripts. Mm. And I there you just – yeah, so I just wrote my own scripts, wrote my own stories. Oh, yeah, I, I, I remember that. So um, I'm a huge superhero fan, right? So I remember thinking, oh, man, uh, Spider-Man, Peter Parker. I love Spider-Man, but in his origin story, I would like to see something different. Mm-hmm. So I just went from there. I wrote it, and then from there, I was like, oh, ma- man, I can write my own stuff. So I just kept writing, kept writing. And um, then obviously I went to Sacred Heart. Uh, I studied film and television. And then it just seemed like the most logical move to make a TV show. 
and use yeah. everything I learned and put it all into this project. Well, isn't that interesting that, that you know, Spider-Man had something to do with it? Because I haven't seen the Spider-Verse movie yet, but from what I hear about it, it's really pretty interesting. And, and I think what that means is it's going to open up that whole franchise for more origin stories, for more people bumping into crazy spiders and, and turning into interesting stories. So maybe you can retell your Spider-Man story in, in your way at some point and yeah, maybe. be okay. part of that franchise. I, I think that's pretty exciting. I, I'll, uh, I'll get Sony on the phone right now. There you go. <laughs> If I had him on speed dial, I'd connect you. Sorry, can't help you with that. Oh, no, no, don't worry about it. I'll just start (laughs) by saying, hey, you know, I know you're in financial trouble. I got an idea. Hey, you never know. One idea sometimes is as good as the next, so. Exactly. Yeah. No, so uh, just, just, um, I just kept writing and writing, and that's how this came to be. Well, that's pretty neat. So, uh, we'll, we'll have a handful of people listening to you talking on this for sure. What would you like them to do to either support your project or to contact you? How can they do either of those things? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, one second here. Let me just make sure I have the social media handles right. Um, you can, again, on air. Um, I'm trying to find a way to um, sort of summarize it shortly. Uh, on air just follows the cast of a television show lives behind the scenes and it goes through the harsh reality, the triumphs, all that of show business. So that's really interesting. If you want to see on air, you can, um, or get, uh, updates and yeah, just get updates on when the show's going to premiere. You can follow our Instagram. If you're on Instagram, which is on air underscore TV show. Um, we're on Twitter also. Let me just get the Twitter up really quickly. Yep. So where it's on air underscore TV show for Instagram. Yeah, on air for gotcha. TV show for Instagram. Uh, we're very active on Instagram. I think we have a little over 100 followers. Trying to get more, obviously. Sure. Uh, we have our Twitter, which is at on air the show, which uh, we're less active on that. We don't really have as many followers. But, um, yeah, and then for me personally, um, you can follow me at Ryan Conway 15 on Twitter. And um, there, sometimes I'll put little updates on the show just to let you know uh, when it's going to premiere, um, little news and tidbits of the show, uh, some behind-the-scenes things. And, yeah, it's just really interesting. So if you'd like to keep up with the show, we'd love to have you on this journey. Well, wonderful. I think that's great. I I appreciate you taking the time and sharing that with us and being on the Tron cast that uh, it's been fun to talk about your beginning journey in the film work and wish you great successes. So that is on air underscore TV show at Instagram or Ryan Conway 15 on Twitter, 1515, right? Yeah, 15. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it's been really fun talking to you, and, and I hope you've had a good time with it, too. And it's fun hearing about your project, and good luck with that and for the next one. All right. Why did I develop a sales training game? Well, I've been 
training people for ages. I first started training people probably, I guess, when I was in high school, when I was uh, teaching guitar lessons. So that was fun. What I used to do was uh, I'd take the very beginning students and I'd work with them until I probably got to the end of my capabilities and then if they were interested in moving forward I'd turn them over to my guitar teacher who would then take them from there. That way he had a steady stream of sort of intermediate students that he could start working with and do fun and interesting things with them rather than just teaching them you know here's how you pluck a chord here's a C a G a D or whatever. Uh, and it worked out great for me because he would pass people on to me to start them uh, when people contacted him. So I had a steady stream of business coming in and uh, it was really pretty fun. I mean, I'm no great musician. Actually, some people would say I'm a pretty lousy musician, but I love it. And I loved it a lot even more then. And uh, it was fun to take uh, people who'd never played guitar before and get them, you know, strumming out some basic songs and doing some basic little picking routines and things like that so they could, you know, do at least some fun songs like, uh, you know, House of the Rising Sun and um, uh, Take Me Home Country Roads, uh, you know, whatever. It was pretty fun. Anyway, so I've been training with people for a long time and it's a lot easier training people when they're doing something that they enjoy and they're doing for themselves, like learning to play the guitar. And then I taught people for a long time how to work with dogs, how to train dogs, how to handle dogs. Um, I probably did that, gosh, I don't know how many years, 15 years, 20 years probably. And that was a lot of fun too, because people had some motivation to learn how to train their dog or handle their dog because they enjoyed working with their dog or they liked being outside or whatever it was. So it's a little weird with sales and customer service training that people are often resistant to sales and customer service training because if you get decent training as a salesperson, you make more sales, you feel better about yourself because you're being more successful, you make more money because either you make more commissions or you qualify for uh, salary increases or whatever. And if you're a customer service person and you have good training, well, you think that would be self-motivating because then when people yell at you, you can calm them down and turn those into pleasant conversations. Or when people have problems, you're more efficient at helping them. Uh, it's easier to direct them to the right place so they get what they need. Because it, it's hard to be a customer service person if you're not driven by the desire to help people and help them figure out their stuff. So it's weird that so many times sales and customer service people are resistant to training. So I've worked on all sorts of programs. And, you know, if you go to mysolvingsales.com, you can basically see my catalog of sales training stuff built out as a self-driven, self-motivated set of journeys you can go on for sales mastery. And that's, that's all good. Uh, I've set up lots of different sales programs where the mission might have been to learn 
something simple like here's one new phrase you should master because it really works well in a certain condition that comes up quite a bit or here's another way to to uh, frame your offering because uh, sometimes the way you've been framing it isn't exactly working right so those kinds of things fairly specific work well but one thing that's hard to do is to um, is to duplicate or mimic the competition, the emotional ups and downs, the the unpredictable nature of sales and customer service, uh, and do it in a fun way. I mean, you can role play with people and throw all kinds of things at them, but when you're role playing, it's very hard to be authentic because you know you're. If you're the person pretending to be the customer or the prospect, it's very hard for you to be natural in your responses because you're trying to role play out responses. And when you're the person who's uh, working as the employee in a role playing situation, it's tough to be really natural too because you're trying to to work on whatever technique or phraseology you're supposed to be working on, um, but you also don't want to you know, come across as doing it wrong with the trainer. Um, so maybe part of the challenge is to do more role-playing so people get comfortable with it. I, I try to phrase that or frame that with people as what happens with actors when they're working on lines for a, a play or a show or a movie or whatever. Because in, in many respects... It's the same thing. We're putting on a little show for our customers. And yes, there's always a lot of improvisation and some unpredictability. But we kind of know what the scene looks like. We know pretty much the only two, three, four ways that scene is going to resolve itself. So why not practice scripting? I mean, we call it scripting in sales and customer service. So why not practice it as if it were scripting? and practice the script until you get the motivation of the line right and the phrasing of the line and the pacing and the tone and all that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I, I try to work on that with people when, when I'm working on retention exercises because being able to retain good training is difficult too. So, I mean, you can take the phrase, sure, I can help you with that, and you can deliver that 14 different ways and really, until you've really perfected that, doing it maybe three, four, five different ways, it doesn't always roll off of your tongue in the smoothest way possible. And sometimes it sounds a little canned with people. But if you practice your, sure, I could help you with that, in many different ways, in many different tones, then you can, can customize it, uh, smooth it out, uh, for any kind of customer you're talking to under any kind of circumstance and it becomes a great answer for just about anything somebody's going to ask you. So that's a long way for me to come around to say why I developed a sales training game because when you play a game, especially if it has a few little hints of role-playing elements or fantasy or something like that, you do remove yourself a little bit from your normal self, right? So you kind of you kind of remove yourself from your I'm the sales trainee, I'm the sales trainer kind of role that you feel like you're in 
When you're doing a team building exercise or a training exercise with your team and you step outside of that a little bit and you lighten up a little bit and your inhibitions come down a little bit and you're, you're able to laugh at yourself and your friends and, and then when you twist a little bit of competition into the game and add some silly elements and add some unpredictable things that either make you happy as a, as a player or make you frustrated as a player, then you can really start to, to mimic some of the real things that happen in the sales or customer service interaction when, you know, you think, you think you're having a good interaction with someone and all of a sudden it goes off the rails or someone comes uh, to you with something you're not sure how to handle or they come at you in an aggressive way or whatever they do that kind of throws you off your game to start with, uh, it allows you then to start recovering and get things back on track. So I think it's great. And if you're not playing some kind of games with people that are actually, you know, games, not just you know, pull a name from the hat and that's the name we'll use in the next role play, but you know, game game kind of things, I think you're going to have a lot more success doing it. I know it's, it's helped me a lot in being able to deliver training to people and it really helps the people involved in the games a lot because they walk away feeling a sense of satisfaction and joy that you don't often get in a team building environment or a sales or customer service environment. You don't often walk away going, yeah, that felt pretty good. That was fun. I like that. And then have some power to move forward and improve what you're doing. So anyway, that's my story and I'm sticking to it on why I developed a sales training game and why you should probably go out and find some fun, silly ways of de delivering the training that you're trying to deliver too, even if it's not sales or customer service training. I mean, there's a bazillion things people need to learn how to do and have some fun with it. Build it into some silly game kind of things and go for it. Anyway, thanks for listening to the Troncast. Thanks for supporting the Troncast. And uh, take care. Bye. What do you do for sales training when sales training is so frustrating and seems so counterproductive sometimes, right? Because the people getting trained are sometimes resistant or sometimes they've been through so many training courses where they just tune out everything you say and you sound like the teacher in Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. Sometimes the people doing the training are so frustrated because they come up with some really good material and go out in the field and prove some really good phraseology and techniques and approaches. And then when they try to train it, sometimes it doesn't work in reality the way it, it worked for them or it doesn't work for the particular people doing it or the folks who get the training just don't feel like putting in the time to perfect it it's really frustrating for the trainers. It's also really frustrating for the higher-ups, for the big bosses, because they invest in training and they invest in training materials. And sometimes the numbers don't move, and so they wonder, well, why are we doing this? What's the point? 
So I've come up with a couple different approaches for sales training that maybe are helpful. One idea is to make it a self-driven process where the salesperson is on their own sales journey, their quest for sales proficiency, their quest to be their own sales hero. So if you want to check that out, go to SolvingSales.com. That's all about my self-driven sales journeys program. And you can subscribe to that for, I think right now it's $5 a month. I'm making it super easy so people can get in there and start creating their own journey to sales mastery. SolvingSales.com. SolvingSales.com. Thank you.